Welcome to all of you. Welcome to all of you on Torani Time and other platforms. In the end of our parsha, Miriam does the unthinkable. She questions her brother Moshe and even wades into his private, personal life. As the Torah tells us, Moshe had seized marital relations with his wife, a decision necessary due to Moshe's need to be perpetually available for Nevoah for prophecy. But Miriam does not understand this. And in conversation with her brother Aaron, she says, what has Moshe done? How has he abandoned his wife? And as we said, she has not only disparaged Moshe, she has violated that most involatile realm, Moshe's personal, intimate, private life. And she is chastised for this. She's banished from the camp when she contracts Saras leprosy, and, Mo, and Hashem frames it as avia yarak yarak bifaneha. It is though, as though her father has spit on her. Hashem has expressed his disapproval of her and her behavior. How do we square this unfathomable deed with Miriam the Tzadikas, Miriam Hanavia, and everything we know about her? Whenever the Tanakh deals with the failings of the greats, without exception, their seeming vice is actually grounded in virtue. Their core virtue, who make them who they are, and who define their contribution, their indispensable contribution. When you really understand what's going on and how even their seeming mistake was an expression of their neshama quality, you have to venerate them and even love them amidst their mistake. And the same holds true for Miriam when we really understand her. Because when we think deeply to a scene earlier in Miriam's life, we have a simple yet magnificent breakthrough. Years earlier in Mitzrayim, the Gemara tells us, Miriam's father, Amram, had separated from his wife, Yocheved. Paro's decrees had rendered childbirth, child-rearing, unviable. And Amram says, this is futile. He walks out on his wife. All Jewish men walk out on their wives. And it is little Miriam who stands down her father, his gadol hadar, his leadership role notwithstanding. She stares him down and says, how dare you? You are worse than Paro. Jewish marital life, Jewish family life must continue, whatever the circumstances might be. And he accepts her rebuke. He rejoins his wife. The entire community rejoins their wives. And the Gemara portrays a glorious re-wedding between Amram and Yocheved. Miriam Miriam and Aaron dance at that wedding. I envision that as a triumphant dance on Miriam's part. I won, my values won. The Jewish family will never disintegrate. Marriages will happen in the barbed wire of the camp. Baby of the camps. Babies will be born under the nose of the Inquisition. 
This has been a Jewish value family life forevermore. And as we developed extensively, as I developed extensively in my recent Sefer, The Breathtaking Panorama, there is another showdown between Miriam and Amram, her father. And that is when Miriam prophesies, my mother will give birth to the Redeemer, Moshe. And when Moshe is thrown into the Nile, Moshe faces a very grim future. Amram taps Miriam on the head and says, daughter, what's going on? Where's your prophecy? But it is Miriam who laughs last, who celebrates last. And what we explained in the Sefer was that these two skirmishes, scuffles between father and daughter, one concerning the viability of Jewish family life and one concerning the birth of Moshe, the Redeemer, are really one because the entire redemption of Moshe, the entire Geula of Mitzrayim is really about the triumph of the Jewish family, Miriam's values. She is the angel of Jewish family life and therefore the visionary, the seer of redemption, no less. So with all of this in mind, we have a wow moment. A eureka light bulb goes off in our heads when we restudy the scene in our parsha. Here Moshe has separated from his wife. The deja vu is startling. And we begin to understand in Miriam's mind, Moshe, you of all people, you are only here because I championed the cause of family life. And I said, we dare not. Here we go again. And therefore, here I, Miriam, go ahead again. I was not deterred by the patriarchal authority figure of a generation ago. I opened up my small, meek mouth as a child. I was not deterred, and I was in the right. So I am not deterred. You are Moshe Rabbeinu notwithstanding, but this is my neshama cause. This is my contribution to Jewish life. I will not be silenced. And from this perspective, we have yet another splendid breakthrough. Listen to the words of Hashem's chastisement. When Hashem banishes her from the camp, renders her a mitzorah. And he says, yarak, yarak He talks about if her father spat at her, if her father expressed disdain towards her. Well, in context of this deja vu scene, what do you think this reference to her father disparaging her is? We know exactly the deja vu here, when her father disparaged her of old. But yet, in a magnificent turning on its head, Hashem is effectively saying, while you were in the right amidst your father's disparagements in the first case, uh uh-uh, not in this case. There is some fundamental shift here in the context and the circumstances, but certainly we are beginning to appreciate Miriam and the sheer power of all these deja vu components in a magnificent deja vu scene. This is Miriam's cause. Of course she's doing this family life. She is the angel of procreation, of marital relationship. Of course she will not be silenced, notwithstanding the stature of her opponent. That was her railing cry of Geula the first time around. But yet Hashem says no. And Hashem almost painfully turns it on its head. 
And as those says, this time the patriarchal figures, be it your father, be it Moshe, are correct to stand their ground. And the explanation of the difference between the two stories is simple yet profound. As Rashi says, Moshe had not made a unilateral decision to separate from his wife. Moshe was acting based on Hashem's Hashem's command. And at the end of the day, notwithstanding any of our great personal callings and charges, Miriam's sacred calling, while all personal causes ultimately bow, ultimately subordinate themselves in front of Ratzon Hashem, in front of the will of the divine. And this is a powerful, powerful lesson. We all have ideals, ruchniistic ideals, spiritual ideas, which we so deeply identify with. My approach to Torah, my approach to raising a family, my approach to Chinuch. At the end of the day, however, there is a higher calling than any of these. And that is the will of Hashem. And let me explain. The takeaway should not be that we are robotic practitioners of Ratzon Hashem. Do what the halacha says, and that's it, as some proponents of robotic Judaism suggest. Of course, personal associations are precious. Each of our neshama callings are our, a certain wave, wind of the divine within us. We feel Hashem via these sacred callings, be they sacred callings of how we're mechanic our children, sacred callings how we learn Torah, sacred callings of how we connect to Shabbos. These are our winds of the divine, our contact with the Shekhinah. But what we have to understand is anything besides Hashem himself is ultimately simply a touch point. Shabbos is a touch point to Hashem. Torah is a touch point to Hashem. Family values are a touch point to Hashem. But they are ultimately no more than a touch point. As Maral in a place castigates Talmidi Chachamim in his generation, who he felt loved Hashem more than Torah. And this in his mind is akin, really, believe it or not, to Avodah Zarah. You are idolizing the Torah. Hard as it is to stomach this, even Torah sacred as it might be, is not the highest, is not the greatest. Hashem is. Torah is a most elevated medium and means to the divine. This is true about every great calling. Family life, Torah, Shabbos, precious as they are. And for the, our deep identification to them, correct as it is and dear as it is, are ultimately only means to the divine. And Ratzon Hashem must always triumph. And therefore, when we have in our lives perhaps greater conflicts, we are not Nevi'im like Moshe where Hashem tells us, separate from your wife, where Hashem gives clear marching orders. We have to deal with conflicts, balancing of values, work-life balance, learning Torah family balance, spending time with a spouse versus spending time with children. Davening versus chesed. All of these conflicts. We cannot allow the determinant to be simply our heartstrings. We need to 
take serious stock, to the best of my understanding, what is the big picture, Ratzon Hashemir? Because that is really what counts. That is our takeaway. But certainly, this redemptive perspective of Miriam and her mistake corroborates my thesis that our greats in the Tanakh, even in their failings, you have to love them. You have to venerate them. Even Miriam's mistake is so consistent here with her most sacred calling, family life, the preciousness of family life. Yet ultimately, it is not family above all else. It is the divine above all else. And that is a precious, precious lesson.